This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal. Hello, me again. Welcome to another Planet Hollywood. I'm Paul Hutchin, political editor of the Daily Record. Joining me this week are Anna Burnside, the chief writer at the Daily Record, and of course, uh, Ben, the editor of the Scottish Daily Express. So I like the way that Ben doesn't have a surname like a superman. Well, I think you have to kind of appear on Planet Hollywood for five or six times, Anna, before you get the Christian okay. name treatment, you know, you People will not know who you are yet, unfortunately, despite okay. your amazing contribution. So um, give it a month and you'll just be simply known as Anna. How does that sound? I love that. I'm, I'm looking forward to that already. Excellent. So um, I think speaking on behalf of the entire press pack, sometimes in Scottish politics we long for a quiet week. <laughs> uh, it seems to be a forlorn hope, um, as we can see from the last seven days. I don't think it's a controversial thing to say that the biggest story in Scottish politics is the scandal of the missing WhatsApps. So just to give you a very brief summary, um, there's the UK COVID inquiry that's going on just now, and it was revealed last week that the Scottish government had not coughed up any WhatsApp messages to the inquiry, despite the fact that uh, thousands had been provided by the UK government. It was then revealed that the National Clinical Director, Jason Leach, had been deleting messages. And then the Sunday Mail, in a, a pretty amazing exclusive at the weekend, revealed that Nicola Sturgeon herself, who was First Minister during the pandemic, had also been deleting messages. So what's happened this week is that sensing a, a massive scandal, the Scottish Government um, has confirmed that it's going to hand over 14,000 uh, or so WhatsApp messages. Uh, meanwhile, Nicola Sturgeon is refusing to comment uh, on whether uh, she has deleted any of her WhatsApps. So that's where we are. Um, Anna, I think that describing this as a dog's breakfast would be putting it mildly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a mess. Um, thought it was interesting watching um, FMQs that's that's just finished, um, where both the Tories and Labour obviously thought this was where they were going to get a gotcha out of the, the First Minister. I actually didn't think either of them got a real gotcha moment. I don't know what you, I have not had a chance to chat with you about how you felt it went. I didn't feel that either of them got a real gotcha out of it, but it was definitely a tough 20 minutes for Hamza Yusuf. I've never seen anyone so pleased to move on to a question about um, waiting times for breast reconstruction surgery for people who've had cancer in my life. You know, it felt, it must have felt like light relief after the the questions about WhatsApp, um, WhatsApp messages. 
Um, but yeah, it's clearly not going to go anywhere. I, I felt that was that was just a beginning that, that we're going to be hearing. We're going to be getting very tired of hearing uh, we're sending them 14,000 messages on top of the 19,000 documents we've already sent, which uh, was the line that Hamza Yusuf repeated over and over again. I think we're going to be getting quite he tired of hearing that um, over the next few weeks. Yeah, and Ben, yet again, Nicholas, uh, Hamza Yusuf is basically dogged by the legacy of Nicola Sturgeon. You saw it with Operation Branch Foreman bias. When I say legacy, obviously there's a police investigation into how the SNP was run when she was leader. Um, the WhatsApp scandal it relates to Nicola Sturgeon's time as First Minister. He just can't shake her off, can he? No, he can't. I mean, this is, like you say, the, the Hamza Yusuf for the first... I think the uh, the inquiries asked for WhatsApps covering the period January 2020 to April 2022. And for much of the sort of first 16 months of that period, Hamza Youssef was, was Justice Secretary and very much a bit part player in the Scottish Government. He, he was moved into the health post in, in May 2021. And then obviously... Um, he, he did start to play a role, particularly in the COVID recovery. Um, but he, he wasn't a key player during the COVID pandemic. Um, he may have been a minister. It was Nicola Sturgeon. It was the Nicola Sturgeon show. Uh, John Swinney, Gene Freeman, um, and, and some of the key advisors as well, most notably Jason Leach, were, were the main people involved. And yet Humza Yusuf finds himself... Uh, carrying the can and trying to explain their actions. Um, he, he keeps saying that he's... And Shona Robeson, the Deputy First Minister, said the same on Tuesday, that they're legally unable to disclose who's given what to the inquiry, which which is... It's kind of a fig leaf, really, because at the same time, Humza Yusuf himself has disclosed what he's given to the inquiry. Kate Forbes has said what she's given to the inquiry. Look, people can disclose their own personal submissions. They're mm. just not allowed to disclose other people's submissions. So Humza Yusuf's desperately covering up, whereas Nicola Sturgeon could put an end to this in, in one brief interview by just telling us whether A, she deleted her messages and B, whether any remain uh, to be uh, to, to be sent uh, to London. Um, I think one of the, the key points as well, I was just talking about the timeline there. I'm given to understand from, from Amar Anwar, the, the Council for the Scottish Bereaved Group, that the legal... Um, kind of responsibility to retain these messages began on the day that Nicola Sturgeon announced the public inquiry, and that was in August 2021. Mm -hmm. So it may be that the bulk of the, the emergency was over by then, but there's still almost a year's worth of messages that should have been protected legally, should not have been deleted. And, and, it seems that these have gone as well. We, we, we just don't know. I think it's, it's it's a huge scandal. The First Minister's kind of put his neck on the line. He's, he's, he's got two fresh 
claims that he's misled Parliament, all to protect his predecessor. It's uh, yeah, he must uh, he must rue the day that um, he ever agreed to become the continuity candidate. Do you know, I think Ben is our. Are we reaching the point where he's going to throw Nicola under the bus? Because what, what struck me so far with Branch Form and now WhatsApp scandal is that he still feels this instinctive loyalty towards her. I don't think he can throw her under the bus. I, I, I think he'd be throwing himself under. They're so closely linked. Um, at, at the moment, there's there's... You couldn't put cigarette paper between them, whereas Kate Forbes did offer, uh, you know, a, a real alternative. Even though arguably she was closer to Nicola Sturgeon when she was actually in government, the fact that Hamza Yusuf set his stall out as "I'm going to carry on all the good work, I'm going to build on all this good work," if he then throws her under the bus, he's essentially saying, "Okay, right, I was completely 100% mistaken." And my first six months in office have been built on, you know, complete, you know, built on foundations of sand. Um, yeah, but you could say, you could say, for instance, I have a deep respect for my predecessor, um, but uh, transparency is important in this UK COVID inquiry, and I think she should answer the question on whether she deleted any messages. You could quite easily say that. You could, you could very easily say that. I have no idea why he doesn't, um, other than the culture of cover-up and secrecy that, that is the sort of first resort in the Scottish government rather than the last resort, in my opinion. And just on the messages themselves, uh, you can see if people are sending WhatsApps to each other, say it's sensitive details of uh, constituents' health, um, and also, would you like a coffee? Yes, go and get me one. You can see why that sort of thing would be deleted. But as soon as uh, the First Minister indicates that there's going to be a public inquiry and then formally announces it, surely it's got to be the case that everything has to be held. Then you transfer everything to the COVID inquiry and then they decide what is relevant. You can't have a situation where the politicians are deciding they sift themselves, and they're deciding what is relevant. Yeah. This, at the core I mean, that's of it, the very is... point that Anna Sarwar was making in um, FMQs, wasn't it? That it's not, it's not for the SNP or the government or anyone to to make those decisions. I mean, I have to say, I'm quite surprised at the way that Nicola Sturgeon has some of the ways that Nicola Sturgeon has handled this because she's such a lawyer and she's so cautious, and um, you know, as much as anyone must have realised the implications of and the, the status and the importance of, of all the documentation, all the records keeping um, around about COVID. Um, and, and I still haven't quite squared that circle with myself, like why, you know, why someone who whose whole modus operandi was 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 based around being cautious that that, that was why she would proceed. Um, I've I, you know, I would I would welcome anyone's insight on that. Well, I mean, what what I was going to just lead into there, Anna, is that the reason I think this is, is the political dangers for Hamza are obvious, but in terms of Nicola's legacy as well, you know, the, the deletions 
might relate to the most innocuous things. But if we can never retrieve these, if there's no way, there's always going to be this suspicion yeah. that she was. It's a vacuum, isn't it? And, yeah. and everyone always fills a vacuum with the worst case. That's what's so dangerous about them. Everyone will fill a vacuum with the worst case scenario. I mean, we could have been spending the last 11 minutes, you know, um, speculating about WhatsApps that really are just like, when will we go for coffee? Yeah. Isn't that right, Ben? I mean, is this, you know, if there are messages that are deleted forever, um, the questions will never stop being asked. I think, I mean, I've been fascinated, I'm sure we've all been fascinated by some of the WhatsApps uh, submitted by the UK government, Boris Johnson, Dominic Cummings. And, and in fact, some of the most telling insights are from these innoc seemingly innocuous. We were saying about sending, going for a coffee, you know, what, what if Nicola Sturgeon was sending Jason Leach for a coffee? You, need, you know, there are the, the, the casual conversations are almost as important as the uh, as the serious decision making um, on the record conversations. What 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 was the tone? What were they saying to each other? Were they in? You know, we've heard a lot this week about the UK government kind of insulting the Scottish government in it in its private chats. Was the same happening here? And and if if the Scottish government are allowed to redact and, and select their own uh, th th their own WhatsApps, then we're not going to get that. We're not going to get the sort of throwaway line that tells you actually a great deal about, about the situation, about who was in charge, about who was really making the decisions and what the priorities were. And, I mean, the, the other point of it all is, I mean, I've got WhatsApp on my two phones. I've got a work phone, I've got WhatsApp on them both. I've never had cause to delete a WhatsApp conversation in, what, 10 years? I mean, why would you even do it? it, it there's some, it takes up such a little amount of storage on your phone's um, uh, database. You can get almost unlimited storage for 99p a month from your service provider why, why would you delete whatsapps no who am, am i am i crazy is this is this a thing that anyone else does maybe that's a passing judgment on her predecessor alex salmond who knows there might be all oh. sorts of things that she wouldn't want to see in the public domain. Because oh, that's what's interesting, isn't it? Because it's she. You, we know she's a cautious person. So what side is she being cautious on? You know, mm -hmm. has she made a calculated decision that it's better to delete things that are really incriminating and face what's happening now than to keep them and release them and face the music or have the consequences of what was in them? That's the that's the the really chewy bit, isn't it? That, that's the only. That's the only reasonable explanation that you could draw from this. It, it really is. And she's someone that, that does, I mean, she's not an idiot like Cummings and is with those absolutely, you know, unguarded um, stream of, you know, stream of filthy consciousness, you know, ranty messages. She's she's the opposite of that. You know, she, she would not, under any circumstances, send messages like that. So, you know... If if she's taken a decision that it's worth deleting them, you know that then really begs the question: Well, what was in them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's implausible that 
Nicola's called Jason Leachy fuck pig. I mean, I, I mean, if she had, we what we what we want to know, and also if they had an emo, you know, if anyone had a nickname that then was reduced to an emoji. I mean, mm-hmm. I just wrote a column about this this week about how seductive WhatsApp is, and how how you know you can see why people like Cummings and Kane, Lee Kane, the uh, uh, the number ten comms advisor. Why they got into, you know, why they got into a situation where they were sending these kind of messages because it is very seductive. It's so quick and instant, and if you like that kind of thing, fun, you know, to to send snarky messages, you know, I would completely one hundred percent put my hand up to that. Um, and and that, but but you know, when you're doing it on government time with the stakes as high as they were, you know, that this is the situation you end up in, the situation that they're in. But that's what's so intriguing about that is, you know, these are, this is not, that's not how Sturgeon operates at all. You know, I don't see her sending anyone, you know, using a a shopping trolley emoji as a jokey stand in for anybody's, you know, nickname. So what, what was it that was in there that's made her, you know, just two final points I would make uh, in summary. Fair play to Scottish Labour leader Anas Sarwar, who very effectively set a trap for the First Minister on this issue with FMQs a number of months ago. I think the Scottish Government has fallen into the trap. Um, secondly, I mean, most stories blow over within a few days. I think we can all accept that this one is not going to blow over within a few days, that we'll probably still be talking about this uh, in the weeks and months to come. Um, just moving on, back to Anas. Now, as I was saying a couple of weeks ago, I don't particularly want to get into the weeds of the the uh, bloodshed in the Middle East, but um, in relation to Labour, there is definitely a split between Anas Sarwar and Keir Starmer on the situation in Gaza. Um, Keir gave a very um, poor interview to LBC uh, last month in which he appeared to suggest that Israel had the right to cut off water and electricity to the people of Gaza. And it took him a few days to backtrack on on that. Anas was furious with those comments. Uh, I did an interview with him uh, earlier this week in which he said that Keir's comments had caused a lot of hurt in the Muslim community. Um, And uh, I had another story today, uh, a leak, a leaked account of a meeting in which Anas had gone further uh, and said that the words had lacked empathy and humanity. Um, ben, do you get the impression that this issue is ripping Labour apart? Um, it, it's a problem. Um, and it's one that could have been managed much better. Um, Labour, I think Labour have been in, you know, on, on a roll for so long. They've been on an upward trajectory the conference had gone well. Everything seemed to be um, just rolling inevitably towards Downing Street, and perhaps they became a bit complacent. Perhaps some of the the comms team and the advisors became a bit complacent and, and didn't anticipate that this this was an issue that that really does have to be handled with with great care. Um, I don't think it's going to rip Labour apart, though. I think Keir Starmer's managed to roll back. I think they'll all, both Anasawa, Keir Starmer and Sadiq Khan, Andy Burnham, 
will realise that the you know the the bigger picture is the the important thing here. Um, I think some of Labour's opponents would like to portray it as an issue that that's tearing him apart, and you know a kind of new. Uh, I've seen some people trying to compare it to Tony Blair and the Iraq War, which just seems seems crazy. Um, mm. But it's it, it, it's not a good look. But I think it's it, it's something that, given that they're still in opposition, maybe it's happened at a good time to you know this would be a, a lesson learned that um, you know international affairs can trip you up very very quickly. Yeah, and Anna, I mean, I've written about this. Kier and Anas have got a good relationship. Um, they work closely together. Their offices work closely together. Um, Anas's team uh, has been working with uh, Keir Starmer's office on the first 100 days um, of a Labour government. And, and so if we just sort of hone in on the, the differences in their position, Keir Starmer is supporting a humanitarian pause Whereas Anas is calling for a full ceasefire. I mean, what, what do you make of the, sort of the differences between those positions? I think they're 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 playing to different constituencies. I think Starmer is very much positioning himself as different from Jeremy Corbyn. I think this is actually a very I mean, because the Hamas connection was one of the really toxic things that the you know, those of a Daily Mailish mindset could cast up against Corbyn that he's he was friends with the likes of Hamas. So I think Starmer is trying to put very clear blue water between himself and any any notes of Corbynishness. And then I also just think he's in a broader sense just trying to present himself as really sensible, statesmanlike, considered um leadership you know, grown-up sensible leadership material. I think Sarwar's got a slightly different job to do. Um, I think he's well, he's thinking of different things. He's thinking about, um, obviously, uh, Muslims, Muslim Labour voters. That was that was historically a big tranche, you know, a, a big sector of the population that was kind of automatic Labour supporters. He's thinking of them. He's thinking of party activists who he has to motivate and you know, who are going to be out delivering the leaflets and blah de blah. Um, you know, they've he's addressing them um as much as as voters and you know the wider the wider audience. So I think the two I think that the the two um leaders are have got different constituencies there that they're addressing and um that Starmer is is distancing himself um, you know, it's a it's a clear way for Starmer to distance himself from from the party's legacy. I mean, can you imagine the headlines if he had done anything that could be remotely seen as giving a millimeter to Hamas? It would be straight back in. You know, he's a, a well, Corbyn. Imagine Corbyn, Anna. Imagine Corbyn had been leader just now. Well, exactly. So I think I think that's I think that's what what um, Starmer has in his mind, and he's thinking what what would Corbyn do, and and, and doing the opposite. Um, I I think so, and yeah, I mean that's that's my that's my take on it. Ben, just just last thing on, on Israel, Gaza, and Labour. Do you think voters will sympathise more with the Starmer position or with the Sarwar position? Um, 
I was just going to point out there, Anna, that's that's excellent advice to live by in general. If you think to yourself, what would Corbyn do and, and do the opposite? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, again, just looking ahead to if Keir Starmer does become prime minister, this is... You know, the, 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 this is the arena Labour have to find themselves in now. They've got to stick with NATO. They've got to stick with the other EU and Western nations. They've got to keep Washington happy. Got to keep, you know, Tel Aviv on side. Um, Labour, Starmer's position seemed to echo a lot of the other Western leaders. Um, and, and, you know, the UK can't find itself out of step on global affairs uh, if Labour does win. Um, as to which, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's such a emotive subject um, that it's, it's difficult to know. I mean, it, it very much depends on your own views on, on the conflict and the crisis and... Um, as to who you would most uh, have, you know, align yourself with and have sympathy with. Um, I mean, the, 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 I think, again, without wanting to get into the weeds of it too much, the problem with the ceasefire call is that it kind of sounded like it was calling for an Israel ceasefire yeah. and, and not a Hamas ceasefire. Um, you know, if it, 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 the way it was presented was that Israel has to stop bombing Gaza, but Hamas doesn't have to stop firing rockets back at Israel. It, it, yeah, it I mean, that's that one of How do you get a terrorist group to abide by a ceasefire? I'm not entirely well, sure. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. this is what Israel says. Yeah, they're not, they don't, they're not gonna, they don't go to the UN and have, you know, no. where are your sanctions there? No. No, but I mean, they, they are the. Rule, you know, they do run the, they are essentially the government of Gaza. Mm. Um, still on Labour, Anna, this new opinion poll this morning. Um, obviously, we've been talking about Labour tensions, but it doesn't seem to be reflected in the polls. Once you strip out undecideds uh, in terms of Scottish voting and tensions for the general election, Labour 38, SNP 32. I mean, that's that's an incredible turnaround. It is. It, it is. I mean, the last decade or so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it shows that I, I don't think, I mean, I don't see this, maybe I'll be proved wrong, I don't see that the um, the Gaza issue cutting would cut through there. I don't think that's a voting issue. I can't see anyone, especially in the current economic crisis and so on, thinking, yeah, well, yeah, but, but Keir Starmer caused, called for a you know, didn't call for a ceasefire. So actually, no, I'm not going to vote for them. I, I, so I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I think this is this is really encouraging, really encouraging for Labour. Um, it looks pretty solid. I mean, and I think if you drilled into the figures, there were some really interesting, you know, numbers in there. The, I th the one that jumped out for me was that only 55% of people who voted SNP in 2019 are planning to vote for them in a general election next year. I mean, that's ouchie, isn't it? And that's a really like, whoa, um, number for them. That's a technical, obviously, psychological term. 
um, you know, for them to to um, to have to come to terms with. It's not getting any better. I mean, who knows how branch form is going to be resolved, but it's going to be resolved one way or the other. You've got the WhatsApp scandal. You've got a very difficult budget where cuts are going to be pushed through and uh, Labour will pin that um, on the SNP. I mean, Ben, the, the patterns are clear. Labour is on the way up in Scotland. The SNP are are hitting the ground. And you know some of these sort of wilder predictions that we've seen maybe of Labour winning over 25 seats, over 30 seats, I mean, that, that is now looking kind of doable, isn't it? It is. I mean, I wonder if the thinking at the SNP is already starting to move on to, right, let's write off the general election. What, what do we do to bounce back from that and ensure we're in a position to challenge, to, to stay in power at Holyrood? Um, the polls have been, you know, moving this way for so long. They were, they were uh, born out in Rutherglen and Hamilton West. Um, it, it, I, it, I just think perhaps the SNP is starting to think, let's let, let let's swallow this and, and move on. I mean, the, there's a school of thought that the surging support for Labour are SNP voters who think or who've recognised, right, we've just had enough of the Tories, we want them out. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that is to vote Labour. It doesn't mean they've gone back to Labour permanently, but they're prepared to vote Labour in the general election to get, you know, to get the Conservatives out of power. Do they then move back to the SNP for the Holyrood elections and further subsequent elections, or, or do they uh, stick with Labour for, you know, for four years, eight years, whatever it might be? Um, it, it almost feels like the, the debate's kind of settled. It's, uh, it, do, you it's think, not... um, do you think express readers in Scotland who are living in SNP Labour marginals, Ben, do you think they will, um, obviously they might be Tory leaning, do you think they would go Labour at the next election? Well, I, I think uh, we saw a poll where, uh, funnily enough, actually the majority of or most express readers are Labour voters, uh, I think. Yes, only, that's right. Yeah, I think it was only the Daily Mail that had um, most Conservative voters. Even like the Telegraph had most Labour. But uh, anyway, I, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. I, I would. I, th I think Conservative leaning voters are more likely to tactically vote in a way. Um, yeah, and, they're, they're probably more focused on the union and, and getting yeah. this out. Whereas what, I think what, Labour voters would. Really, yeah, struggle. there's a lot of Labour voters who could be the that you know a die-hard unionist, but they might think twice about voting Conservative in those areas where the Conservatives are in power or or are the closest challenger. Um, I think that's always the problem with tactical voting; it doesn't always kind of pay off. But but yeah, clearly, I, I mean, as we saw in Rutherglen and Hamilton West, I think a lot of did, did the Tory vote drop from 9,000 to 1,000, something like that? Exactly. I thought that was a fascinating bit of the by-election. Um, Anna, let's go to you. Good week, bad week? Okay, good week. Uh, I've picked Lorna Slater, um, who at the uh, Greens conference in Dunfermline announced that um, there was going to be a tax on cruise ship emissions. 
And I just thought, well, finally, some actually some green policies um, coming through from the, the Green Party, because, you know, despite them being um, junior members of the coalition government, we haven't seen much that you could actually badge as green, certainly successfully um, happening. Uh, so I think that's a good policy. Um, I think cruise ships are, are big old environmental um, enemies. I think the places where they dock see very little benefit. You know, the, the passengers come off the ships and into um, go into buses to be taken to prettier parts of Scotland um, immediately. Um, so it would be good for those areas. I'm thinking especially maybe of places like uh, Greenock and Leith. To, to see some benefit from that. So, yeah, I think that's good. Good week. Go, Lorna. Uh, bad week. I have picked Ash Regan, the um, MSP who stood for leadership of the Scottish National Party, uh, came third and has now left and defected to join ALBA. We see her here with uh, the two ALBA MPs. None of now, none of these people stood to be elected on an Alba ticket. They were all SNP people who had defected. And I just, I really think that standing for a leadership of a party and not getting it, and then bailing out, I think that's an extremely bad look. So that's why I have picked bad week for her. Ben, how about you? Um, a bit more predictable, I'm afraid. Uh, good week. Douglas Ross, um, I thought uh, he, he was um, very quick to to kind of kickstart the, the WhatsApp scandal at First Minister's Questions last week. <clears throat> no sooner had Jamie Dawson, the lead counsel to the inquiry, kind of made these claims or revelations at the hearings in London than, than you know, well done to... Douglas and the Tory press office, they were right on it. They had the questions and they, they really caught Humza Yusuf off guard. I had forgotten, actually, that Anna Sawa did sort of lay the original trap with his question in June. So a good sort of uh, unionist tag team effort there. But <laughs> I, thought, uh, I thought Douglas Ross has been been bang, bang on it on the WhatsApp scandal. And, and bad week, same topic. Um, and... Uh, my bad weeks uh, only ever seem to be one of two or three people. And we're back to Nicola Sturgeon. Um, and for obvious reasons, namely the fact that she appears to have deleted most of her WhatsApp messaging from the uh, COVID pandemic. And, and I think four times during the press huddle refused to answer the question. Yeah, I was there. It was four um, times at least. Four times at least. I just, yeah. How does she, you know? She, she's she's clearly been through some uh, a, a bit of a political roller coaster this year. But this is another one where you look and you think. I mean, does she really want to hang on for another three years on the back benches, putting up with this? I know, I was thinking that, Ben, it's like it would be a lot easier for herself and for Hamza if she just maybe stood down at the next general election next year. Because, you know, Hollywood is just dominated by huddles with Nicola, um, just waiting for her to speak on various issues. But that's, the, that's where we are. Um, so I think that wraps it up for another week. 
Um, I'm willing to bet a fiver that uh, in the next Planet Hollywood we will be discussing WhatsApps yet again. So thanks to Ben, thanks to Anna, and thanks to our producer, Daryl Devine. That's his real name. That's not a porn name. Um, so hope to see you again next week. It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. Because I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal.